Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some tough topics. I say that a lot, and a lot of our topics really are tough. But today we have a, a topic, and I guess the topic is tough, but it's, it's not in our usual way of presenting. It's, it's not presented in the usual way. And as we go along, you'll find out what I'm saying. And my guest is a very special lady and author named Kathy Picard. Kathy is in Massachusetts, and she wrote a book called Life with My Idiot Family. Now, who could not relate to that? <laughs> Kathy, welcome. Thank you so welcome much, Heather, for having me on your show. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Kathy, we usually start with a little biographical information, but I'm just going to jump into the book here, and, and your biographical information will come out, I think, as we talk. What led you to write this book? What is it about, I mean, besides your idiot family? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a story in itself. But to, to write the book, Heather, and just mainly to, to help people to, um, you know, to understand that anybody that's been sexually abused, that it, first of all, that it's not their fault. Um, you know, a lot of people do self-blame themselves, but to let them know, and they're not alone. You know, with the alarming statistics, one in every four girls before their 18th birthday and boys, one in every six boys before their 18th birthday will be sexually abused. And that's that's very alarming to, to know those statistics. And it's not stranger danger. It's 93% of it is someone that is known to that person. You know, it could be yeah. a teacher, it could be a mom, it could be a dad, it could be a parent. So it's it's very scary. And we need to educate everybody. We need to start with the kids and start with them as soon as they're able to talk. Yeah. I, I, you're so right. And we had, a, a, I guess it's been several months now, but we had a woman who wrote a book and did research on um, the, the history of incest in America. And yeah. her, her book was so enlightening because, you know, she talked about how back in the Victorian era, all these little girls were getting sexually transmitted diseases and, and the, um, the, the doctors were blaming the mothers because the mothers weren't being clean enough. That must be what it is. And, it, you know, and because, and they were getting told, no, it's because they're being sexually abused and molested. Yeah. And yeah. But no, of course that couldn't be it. These were good families and good men. And, uh, you know, <laughs> of and course, she, of course, you know, and, and so culturally society refused to believe it. The medical profession refused to believe it. And she talked about, you know how you go into a public restroom now and there's the tissue for the toilet seat? Yeah. She said yeah. that, that harkens back, that, that, that tissue does nothing. Um, oh, but wow. she said it harkens back to that era when they decided that, oh, clearly the, the, this, you know, these instances of uh, sexually transmitted diseases among these little girls have to do with not being clean enough. Yeah, no, no. A lot of them, like you mentioned, a lot of them will have been, you know, sexually abused, and that's how they get these transmitted diseases. So, you know, yeah. my my story, um, Heather, to backtrack, but I was sexually abused by my stepfather, who growing up I thought was my biological dad, who adopted me at the age of four. And I was sexually abused by this man from the age of seven and it continued on until the age of 17 when I got the courage to tell him, this has got to stop. 
Yeah. And he did not yeah. take that answer. You know, he wanted it to continue, but I said, you know, if it doesn't stop, I will tell. Because, you know, a lot of survivors, they're told, don't tell, nobody's going to believe you, you know, just don't talk about it. My biggest thing was I would be blamed if my parents got divorced. It would be my fault. And the family would be split up because of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, you know that's, that's a common tactic. That's a common tactic. I have a friend absolutely. who was sexually abused. And, um, you know, her thing was, and she also, very similar to you, you know, she was older. Um, she wanted yeah. to stop it earlier, but she had younger sisters and she was concerned uh, about her younger sisters if she were to yeah. stop, you know, and, and put the brakes to it when she was. But, you know, they, they, people, unless they, like all of these things, unless people have experienced it and yeah. seen it, they don't get it. They can't grasp, oh, come on. Come on. Right, right. You know. they con- um, and they constantly, even to this day, I'll hear people say, well, Kathy, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you tell? And that's one of the worst things that you can, that can, that you can say to a survivor, why didn't you tell? And like you said, you don't know unless it happened to you. Well, and when you say, why didn't you, that's the, like domestic violence and why doesn't she leave? What you're doing right. is you're deflecting from the person who's perpetrating this and yep. putting it square smack dab on the shoulders of the victim. You know, exactly. Rather, she was supposed to take charge of this situation. Yeah, um, yeah you're blaming you know, the it, victim. It, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think sometimes we can get carried away with being defensive over blaming the victim. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, one of my things is, you know, gosh, if I'm, you know, a college girl and I go to a frat party and there's no other girls there and everybody's drinking and I'm drinking too, eh, I got to say, you know, a part of me thinks they don't have a right to do anything, even if you are drunk. But on the other hand, eh, you know, <laughs> right. Um, be to take the, be a defensive driver, you know? Um, right. So, and I, and I, you know, I, I think that that's a kind of a natural thing to do, but with domestic violence and with sexual assault and incest, it's just, no, we have to quit looking for the solution from the person who's being victimized. We have right. to look for the solution from the people we- who are doing it. Right. And the, and the biggest thing, Heather, is prevention. I mean, we need to talk to these kids in the schools because the perpetrators are saying, don't tell, don't tell. Well, who is actually telling them to tell? Hopefully it's the parents, but it would yeah. just be another layer if the schools were having somebody go in there and I've knocked on the doors, but go into the schools and say, it's okay. It's okay to tell. And let them know, go to your counselor, go to your teachers. If you can't go to someone in the family, you know, that is huge. You know, they, they, well, and they, uh, you know, what I've learned about this, I haven't done a study of it, but I mean, from my friend and and just generalized reading, these people are very skillful. You know, pedophiles are very skillful um, at manipulating people. Um, They know what to say and what to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. They know what to say and what to do. Yeah. And they know that if they tell a small child, oh, if you, you tell anyone, you know, mommy will divorce me and then the whole family will be, oh, and it's all going to be your fault. No, it's yeah. not. It's going to be your fault. That's <laughs> you right. Know? That's right. And, and Heather, 
they they groom them, you know, with the gifts. Like 16 years old, I had my car. I had a 66 Mustang, you know. I was being told constantly by my stepfather that you're a pretty little girl and you're special and, you know, all these nice words and the I love yous. I wasn't getting the I love yous by my mother. So, of course, to hear them from him, oh, I felt very special, but I would have to pay for it. Mm. Mm. Terrible. You know, so... But, um, you know, so I, I fought it, you know, I went forward and there's the statute of limitations, there's criminal and there's civil. And when I found out that I'm sorry, there's nothing that you can do because the statute of limitations, your time is run out, Kathy, there's nothing that you can do as far as getting justice. And I wasn't ready to take that answer. So I fought the criminal and the civil statute of limitations in Massachusetts. And on September 21st, 2006, the criminal statute of limitations was changed, whereas the victim had from the age of 21 now and currently they have until the age of 43 to go forward with a criminal suit. I was, I did not fall within that time frame. So then I found out that we could fight for the civil statute of limitations. And in Massachusetts, there was age 31 that a person had until, of course, that didn't fit with me, but then they extended it and it was a huge increase. Now a person in mass has until the age of 53 to go forward for a civil suit. And I was 53 years old when this law changed. So I was right there and one of the first ones in Massachusetts to have a four-day jury trial in federal court against my stepfather. Wonderful. And what was the outcome of that? It, it was in my favor. It was positive. And and it Good. was tough. It was really tough, you know, to go forward, but not only doing it for myself, but doing it for other survivors, because right after my trial, there was a male that went forward, and his case was settled out of out of court. So, you know, doing it for others and doing it to, it's going to be history. You know, a lot of people are able to come forward. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm sure that you have... What what seems to be typical in situations like this is you get some people who just don't believe it, both within right. the family and outside of the family. Um, yeah. It, it, I think a lot of times victims, even though, you know, yay, thanks to your work and some others, and I know in our state they've been talking about just eliminating statute of limitations for, for incest uh, or for child molestation uh, and child rape. Um, that I'm would not be sure excellent. Whether that's, whether that's yeah, I'm not sure whether that's going to pass or not, but you know, it's got it's got legs. Um, yeah. And you know, but what happens typically is you have people that don't believe the victim. Absolutely. Now I know that there are studies on all sorts of issues. There are studies on uh, lying about uh, sexual assault. There's lying uh, studies on lying about um, accusing. Uh, dads of, of sexual molestation. There's, you know, all sorts of studies. And most of the studies that I've seen show that, yep, sometimes there's like maybe half a percent, maybe 2% of people who are involved in situations who actually have lied. And, yep. just and that's exactly what I've heard, 2%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly and so, what I've heard is 2%. Yeah. <clears throat> Hold on a second, Kathy. <clears throat> okay. I'll come back and okay. um, cut that out. <clears throat> Sorry, I took a, a breath <laughs> and uh, 
you know, it went down the wrong pipe here. <clears throat> oh, no. Okay. You okay? <laughs> All right. Yep, I'm okay. Um, Good. Did, tell me, okay, so, you know, we have these people who, who sometimes just insist that this can't possibly be true, even though statistically it most likely is, not 100% of the time. Yes, it is possible for people to lie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but overwhelmingly, people do not lie about these things. So right. if you're going to err on the side of caution, you should probably err on the side of believing themselves. Absolutely. Or what, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, so tell me, how, when you came forward as an adult um, and, and told people about what happened, tell me, tell me about how did that happen? Were you able to just come forward and do it? Was there a process that you went through? What ages were you when you were able to tell people what had happened to you? Well, the first person I told was my Grammy, my grandmother, my mother's mother. And she more or less shut me up because she says, Kathy, we don't talk about things like this. So I, I, didn't, I didn't continue on. And it wasn't until it was a long uh, break there. It wasn't until I was 28 years old. Then I told my Aunt Judy. And my Aunt Judy was the mom to me that I did not have in the home. She was my mother's sister. And she, she was truly amazing. However, though, she did tell me too, she says, Kathy, let's, if you have to talk about it, come to me. Don't, you know, tell anybody else. So I didn't. And the only reason why she said that was out of fear of my stepfather, who was, he was a bully. And so, so whenever I needed to talk, I would go and talk to her. And I kept that promise. I didn't tell anybody. Um, But when my aunt Judy passed away, March 4th of 2000, I told everybody, Heather, I mean, I told my coworkers, my first stop was going to the police department, and I filed a report just in case to protect myself, just in case anything happened to me, I wanted it documented. So I went to the police station, told them the whole story, and then I felt safe. And I told everybody and anybody that I could, started public speaking, the colleges, the police academy, because ironically, my stepfather was an auxiliary police officer. So that was one of the biggest scares for me as a little girl not speaking up because there was a gun in the home and I was very petrified of that gun. So today in the past seven years, I've been speaking at the police academy to educate our police officers what to look for, what to do. You know, your voice, your eye contact is extremely important to a young child, boy or girl coming to you and looking for that help. And let them know yeah. that you'll always be there, you know, because maybe they're not going to disclose then, but maybe they'll disclose later on. But they're going to remember what you have said to them. In so, the cases, but it, again, with, with domestic violence, where the cases are where the perpetrator is a, an official or a, a police officer or whatever, makes it a lot harder to come forward with it that does. information. It were, does, because I thought. There... Go ahead. Yeah, because I thought as a young girl, you know, me going and telling a cop, it's like, who are they going to believe? Are they going to believe me or are they going to believe him? Because he's one of them. So I knew I wouldn't be believed or that's what I thought. So that kept me quiet. Huh. Huh. Um, How many people in your family? There was um, four. There's four girls in the family. So three. I have three half sisters. Is that your sister? 
I don't think so. I mean, I've asked them, and don't forget, those are his, but that doesn't mean that he did not touch them. You know, to this day, nobody has said that he did. But I did have a niece growing up in the home, and to this day, I still don't know if he touched her. She is in denial. She's not saying he did, you know, or didn't do. So I don't know, you know, because I made a phone call to him, and I said, why did you touch me? when I was older. And he said to me, which I wish I taped the conversation. He said, you are a pretty little girl and you weren't my real child. (gasps) Well, the same scenario for my niece, right? So to this day, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he touched her or not. Uh, I, I hope he didn't, but now with the laws changed, she still has until the age of 53 to go forward. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I did, you know, as much as I could to protect her by calling the authorities. I called DSS and filed a 51A and, you know, was reported back. Nothing's going on. So, you know, I did everything that I could. Yeah. (laughs) That's another conversation. Yeah. And, and, And whether we're talking about this topic or anything, I mean, really, you just have to in life say, you know, decide what you can do and then realize that that's what you can do and that's it. You know, Um, I I think so so often we beat ourselves up and we carry things with us and, you know, because we can't fix everything. And, but I think sometimes you just have to say, I did what I could and that's all that I could do. And um, not let it go. I hate that phrase, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. But to, but to move on, right. Cause you, you have mm. to be healthy and there's other people that, that I could help that are looking for that help and that I continue to help for the past 17 years. So, you know, it helps me to help them because it's, you know, in my mind, it's like, so another person may not be a victim as I was. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So when, how old were you again, when you decided that you were going to um, come out and tell people about this? Well, my aunt passed in 2000. So in 2000 is when it really had happened in 2003. And that's when they were talking about the priest abuse. And I thought Mm -hmm. it's not just priest abuse. It's people like my stepfather. So that's when I made that phone call that we had a number you could call 1-800-DIAL-A-LAWYER and ask any question you want. And that's the question I asked. What can I do about this man that portrayed himself as a father to me and sexually abused me? What can I do? And that's when they said, Kathy, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's got to be a lot I can do. So I made my way, you know, the Boston State House and spoke my story and have not shut up since. Well, good. I'm glad you haven't. I'm glad you haven't. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about your relationship. You That man is still alive today. You took him to court. Did, yeah. What was his relationship with your mother and your sibling, his his natural biological children, his, his siblings? Did they well, have a hard time believing this when you came out with it? No, they, they're totally in denial. You know, that's their real father. How dare I talk about this? During the four-day jury trial, they stood up for him. He's my real father. He would never do something like this. Same with my niece. He's my grandfather. He would never do anything like this. 
Um, him and my mother are now separated. He lives out of state. Uh, my mother was in denial that the whole thing happened. So we have not been in, you know, any kind of a mother-daughter situation. And, you know, so I pretty much um, did meet my biological dad when I was 28 years old. Wonderful, wonderful man. I'm glad I met him. Um, and when I found out that my stepfather was not my real father, when I was 17, I said, who is my real father? And I was told that he died in Vietnam which is obviously not true. So I did not meet my biological father until I was 28 years old. So, and actually it's like going on a year longer than I've known him than I didn't know him. And he's wonderful. I see him at least three, four times a week. And, mm. you know, I know I'm his daughter because we look so much alike, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. very nice man. Um, so, okay, so let's get back to when you came out about this and basically your family didn't believe you, which is kind of textbook, mm -hmm. isn't it? Right, right. Yeah. And, if, you know, what I mean, my mother you... knew. My mother knew that it was going on, and that's what I found out wow. in my adult years. She knew what was going on, yet she would send me, go with him to his part-time job, go with him to get alcohol, which he was an alcoholic, still is today which is very, very common, uh, go with him. You know, so she would kind of, I would say, feed me to him, you know, going with him. And it, it's horrible to say, but she knew what was going on. Wow. That is sad. Mm -hmm. So do you yeah. have a relationship with your mom today? No, I don't. No. She has stopped by my house a few times, but, you know, and I – I can't say I forgive her. I mean, I will talk with her, but it will never be Heather that mother-daughter relationship because she didn't protect me. And I didn't get the I'm sorry from neither my stepfather nor my mother. And that, that plays a big part, you know, saying the I love yous and saying, you know, I'm sorry. But to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 57 years old and I never got the I'm sorry. <laughs> so what is your relationship with your mother today? Um, to this day, I mean, I will talk to her, and if I see her, I'll talk to her, but um, that's about it. You know, it's not an in-depth conversation. It's, you know, it's it's short, and I'm not an angry type of a person. So, you know, I will have that conversation. It, it's just it'll never be a mother-daughter, sadly, but it yeah. will be. What about your sisters? No, no, I won't have any conversations with them. During the four-day jury trial, they, oh, it was horrible. I mean, the looks and the statements that they made to me, it was it was really, really bad. Uh, it would definitely make a great movie. But um, uh, no, no relationship, no conversations with them. You know, like I said, I just mostly reach out on my biological dad's side who has a son, uh, Scott, you know, him and I are, we talk and I have aunts and uncles that I met through his family, but you know, I, I don't need that negativity in my life. There's too much more that I have to do. And to be positive, I'm a very positive person. Yeah. I don't want to ask you about your own family yet. I don't want to ask you if you have children yet. I have a couple more questions about um, okay. the experience growing up. And then I want to ask you about what writing the book 
meant to you and, and, and what the book's about. Because, I mean, obviously we're okay. talking generally what it's about, but I want to talk yeah. more about what's in the book. Um, okay. And I also want to know about your family today, not just your family of origin. But first I want to ask you, how did you deal when you decided to come out? And uh, I, I'm, I'm saying that as if, you know, you're, I'm talking sexuality. I'm not. I'm talking about come out publicly and say what had happened to you and how, how you had been treated. Um, when you decided to reveal that and be open about that, did you know that you were then also making a decision inadvertently that would tear you away from your your mom and yes. your sisters? I did. And you I decided, did, I did you know that. I knew the consequences. Yeah, I knew the consequences, but it's like this is the truth. And I needed to tell it. And like my husband says, you know, Kathy, if you have to be the poster child for sexual abuse, then that's what you are. And sometimes I, I always think of that saying, but it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I just, I needed to tell the truth and I wasn't going to hide it. I wasn't going to keep it a secret. And if the consequences were leaving that type of a family, that's fine because I was tired of the lies you know, growing up and being at family events and putting on that pretend happiness, I didn't have to do that anymore. I was an adult and it was time that I was not put in the spots where I didn't really want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from your family, you must have had friends. You must have had, uh, you know, a a, a circle, uh, a social circle. What did they think when you decided to reveal this? Well, I, it, it's funny, but it, it's great. Um, I still am, am, am in contact with my high school classmates, and we just met. It was about 18 of us. We got together, you know, for, for an event. One came down from Boston. One came from California. And they still asked me, well, Kathy, why didn't you tell us about what happened to you? We could have helped you. You know, and I appreciate that, but I wasn't ready to talk about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, and when I, when I did tell my friends, though, they're like, what can, you know, what can we do? They were very supportive of, you know, but there were still some that said, you should have told, you know, and a lot of survivors do get that, you should have told, you know, and th- that's very hurtful because, no, I wasn't ready to tell. And people have to realize that. And there's a lot of reasons why they're not going to tell because they're ashamed, they're embarrassed. You know, you want to stay in denial. But but if well, when you get the that, right... Hello, you, you, you've grown up with this man who tells you that if you do tell, you're responsible for your entire family's destruction. I mean, how, that's how right. could you... You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's so easy for us you know, my husband used to say it's so much easier to raise somebody else's child because you can look at them and tell them exa- you know exactly what that child needs. Things right. get more complicated when you're raising your own child because it's not so black right. and white. It's not so easy. Um, right. and, and it's like that, I think, with all of these situations. It's so easy to look at someone else's life and say, this is what they should have been doing. This is what they right. need to do. Right. But um, and, you, you, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know unless you're no. going through it. And, and for a survivor to actually start talking about it, it's really hard because you don't know what they're going to say to you. You don't know if they're going to not, they're going to unfriend you. 
They don't want no part of it. You know, and the reason why people don't want a part of it is because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. So it's easier to back away and not even be involved. Get involved. Talk to this person. That person needs you to listen to the story, to help them, to be yeah. their friend. But a lot of people will walk away. They don't want to deal with it. You know, I remember my grandmother when I first told her. My grandmother was, she since passed, but she was from the older generation. And she she made the comment to me. She said, Kathy, if you continue to talk about this, your husband's going to divorce you. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I wasn't going to stop. But, and it's not her fault, but she was from the older generation where we don't talk about this. Well, but then I've know, come in I, contact. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cringing when I hear that, but you know, that's one of my pet peeves. I mean, we look at history with today's glasses on. Yeah. Not, we have to look at it from, you know, from how it looked back then. I, I always use right. my grandmother as an example. My grandmother was born in 1900 and oh, wow. she had four daughters, four daughters and four sons. And yep. her husband was 20 some years older than her. In her world, men were the ones who were in charge. And so yeah. if I would call her or my sister would call her and we'd say, well, we're going to come and visit. Oh, let me talk to your husband. Now, when will you be coming to visit? You know, because it was the husband that were supposed to be right. making those decisions. So Right, getting that permission. Yes. So was my grandmother an evil, misogynistic old bet? No, she was a product of her time. And I yeah. think that, you know, just as we are products of our time and our grandchildren will look at us and go, whoa, I can't believe she said that, you know. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Um, and that's common. Yeah. And that's common. But, but we do need to take a stand and we do need to talk about it. And there's yeah. a way to do it. You know, there's, depending on the audience, you know, when I speak, depending on the audience, there is a way to talk about it's okay to tell to a five-year-old you know, to an adult, to a grandmother, there are different techniques and things that you can say to get them to understand that particular language. Okay. And why is it important that people understand? Why isn't this just a private thing that you can take care of within your family and shut up about it? No, it's very important to talk about it um, because you have people in your circle that are going to need your help. And if it's not happening to you, because people, a lot of people will say, sexual abuse, not happening to me, I want no part of it. But in your circle, you're going to have your friends, you're going to have your neighbors, you're going to have your coworkers that want you to understand. They need your help. And if you don't understand, how are you going to help them? Well, and God forbid, what if it happens in your family? Right. You know, with your children. If you don't make it something that you become aware of, you can right. inadvertently perpet, you know, perpetrate yourself. You know, you can right. not make it an environment where a child who can, you know, get into a situation, they just won't come to you. And then, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm just reading, you know, uh, going from, from the things that I've read, but, you know, it, it seems to me that part of the, the problem is the secrecy. The secrecy. Yeah. We won't talk about this. We won't share this. We won't, you know, it's, it's just this big, huge secret. And whenever you have secrets, then, you know, you're, you're leaving yourself wide open 
for, yeah. you know, more perpetration, you know, because nobody will stop it. There isn't anybody who will say no, this much and no more. And what do you mean this is going on? I mean, it, it's, it just seems to me like it, it's just making the problem so much worse if you shut up about it. Right, right. One one um, statement that this is from an interview of a perpetrator and what he stated that I read, and I, I just, it's so alarming, is he said, show me a child that knows nothing about sexual abuse and you've given me my next victim. Hmm. You know, and that's ago, huge. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is huge. I mean, years ago, I actually did pre-sentence reports for misdemeanors for a, a county. And yeah. one of, one of, you know, some of my training w- was because we would have misdemeanors come in who had bigger problems, you know, who had criminal yep. issues. And so we yep. had to be trained to recognize that and deal with that as well, even though we were doing misdemeanor reports. And I, I was, one of the, the things that we had to learn about was, you know, sexual assault and pedophilia and child molestation and all of that kind of stuff. And, we saw a film. Uh, some researcher went in and actually filmed because near where I live, about 15, 20 miles away, there is a state penitentiary with a, set, uh, a statewide sex offender program in the penitentiary. And somebody went in there and videotaped, interviewed and videotaped. And we had to sit and listen to this, these, these pedophiles being interviewed. And the instructor said the only thing that differentiates and an incest perpetrator from a, a just a run-of-the-mill pedophile is that they're too lazy to go out and find it a victim. They grow their own. Oh, gee. And and the the film that we watched, this one man had three daughters or four daughters, and they asked him, "Well, did you do this to all of them?" And he said, "No, he did it to this one, and he did it to that one, but he didn't do it to the third one." And they said, why not? And he said, oh, my gosh, she had such a big mouth, she would have told everybody. See? And yep. I decided right See? then and there that if I ever had a daughter, I was going to train her to be a big mouth just like her mother. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> know, you know, that's, that's ideal. But, you know, a lot of the kids today, I've noticed, a lot of them, they do speak up. They do have mouths on them. And for that, I'm happy. I mean, they need to still be polite and courteous, but they do have mouths and they they will speak up. But let's not, not, you know, educate them in the schools. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, we dump a lot of this on the schools, but I think that if you are a parent, you have an obligation to teach and learn as well. You can't just dump it all in the school. Right. You have right. to be aware of this. You have to understand what goes on with this. You have to be prepared um, and, yep. and train your children. You cannot rely on a school system to do it. You know, I right. mean, if they do choose to do it, that supplements what you're teaching. And yeah. you have and that's an obligation. Why, yeah. And, and that's why I know, like, some of the schools around here, they have parent-teacher conversations, you know, where the parents go in with – and I think that's great because they can start the conversation – Bring the conversation home, you know, and just work off of that. You know, keep on asking yeah. the kid, did you understand that? Do you know what to do? You know, if a stranger mm-hmm. asks you to go with them, if they're going to give you, you know, cake and cookies and everything, would you go? I mean, you'd be surprised yeah. as to how many kids will go and look for that lost puppy. If some stranger came up to them and promised them uh, something, they're going to go. 
I mean, parents. I know. They ask ask I, your I kids. There was, there was some um, uh, TV show several years ago where they. Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't several years ago, a couple years ago, um, where they uh, actually tested these kids who were trained about stranger danger and blah, 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 blah. And they, yep. it was all staged and the parents were watching and they had an actor come and say, oh, could you help me find my puppy? And about 85% of those kids went, even though they had gone through all this training. And, you know, I, know. I mean, you cannot, you cannot trust kids to, they're not adults, yeah. you know. Nope. Yeah. And don't only anyway. talk to well, them once. You know, continue that conversation. Um, you know, keep on asking them because some days, you know, they may continue on and expand with that conversation and say, you know, that did happen. Somebody asked me, you know, but they, they need to know what to do. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and you can't just make it a conversation in isolation and then you walk away and you never talk about it again. One of the things that I always right. liked to do when my kids were little, much to their annoyance, was we'd listen to the news in the car. We'd listen to the news. Yep. And if it's something like this, a report like this came up, boom, the radio would go off and then we'd start having a conversation. You know, now that's what, a parent you know. Needs, that's, what a, that's what a parent needs to do. They need to do that because... You know. It's in the news. You know, there's enough conversations that you can have. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, and you need to ask them, do you understand what that means? Do you, do you understand? Because right. if you don't, you know, I, I remember one time my, my son was in the car. who was three years older than my daughter. And some topic came up. We did that with, with sex, too, you know, topics, any topic that they needed to know about. And so my son, being a little older than my daughter, I asked him whatever came on the, the news. I said, now, do you understand that? Do you? And he goes, yes, yes, I do. And I went, okay, all right, fine. And then my daughter <laughs> said, I don't understand it. So I went, Good. well, and I'm, my brain is clicking. Okay, how do I ratchet the conversation back a couple of years to be appropriate for her? And I said, yep. well, honey, what that means, and all of a sudden my son is in the backseat going, mother. Give her way too much yeah. information. Yeah. Well, you, you <laughs> were one this. of those. You know, yeah, you, <laughs> you were one got, of those. Have confidence. Have confidence in yeah. me, my son. I know how to ratchet it back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, uh, I but you gotta have I am, conversations. It, it's just yeah. gotta be part of life. No. Yeah. So tell me about the book. Um, you wrote the book, love the title, because no, whether there's, you know, molestation involved, whether there's, it doesn't matter. Everybody thinks their family is an idiot family. So, <laughs> and, and what I like about it is it indicates, I mean, because no matter how bad things are, there's something to laugh at. You know, right. I mean, when, when my sister lay dying, I mean, she and I would laugh at things. There's always something, something, you know, yeah. um, to, I guess, bring some relief. And when I read the title of your book, and I apologize for not having read it yet, but it, it was just recently brought to my attention, and I plan on it. As a matter of fact, I ordered it from Amazon today. Um, and there, it indicates, that title indicates a sense of humor. So is right. that what I'm going to read in your book? Well, it's not too much humor in it. Um, so it's Life with My Idiot Family, A True Story of Survival, Courage, and Justice Over Childhood Sexual Abuse. And my husband and I wrote it together. It took us over five years to write. We self-published. And the reason why we called it Life with My Idiot Family is because growing up, my mother, we had the four girls in the family, and my mother either called us idiots or assholes. So it's a wonder that I even know my first name. So that's, 
how we came up with the title. And like you, Heather, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, we all know an idiot family. And that's true, you know, but the book is, is more or less my story as a young girl growing up to probably like two, three years ago um, of where I am today. And it talks about all the abuse I've gone through. Um, I do want to caution, though, people do reading it, the first 30, 40 pages, they're kind of detailed. And, you know, I've noticed even myself, I had to put the book down. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a tough read in the beginning, but just know that the outcome is a positive one. You know, just keep oh, thinking that. But but people will say, you know, yeah. it's a it's a page turner and you know, I couldn't put it down. I've some people have called me up and it was like they said, Thanks, Kathy and I said, For what? And they said, You kept me up till three in the morning <laughs> You know, <laughs> because they they wanted to finish it. But um, you know, it talks about the the trial, the four day trial. There's part of the deposition notes that are in there. And um I'm happy to say it's on Amazon, it's in Kindle. And one thing that I just found out today, so you were the fourth person and all your listeners to find out, but it is going on to audio. So it'll be on iTunes and Amazon and, um, you, you know, really happy to say that I narrated it myself. And oh, not only, you have a good voice. not only, thank you, but not only my voice, but my husband's voice is on there as well as uh, former chief police Lou Barry who wrote the foreword to my book and um, our editor did some of the trial notes as well so but it was tough it was really tough and very like I said very detailed in writing it and we're hoping and never say never if I can pass laws but um, we're hoping to get it into a movie and the book's gone out to Oprah Winfrey and to Reese Witherspoon so Never say never, and people have already said Jack Nicholson can play my mean, evil stepfather. <laughs> so, but uh, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and they're like, Kathy, who's going to play you? And I and people have said Reese Witherspoon. So I don't know. They say that I kind of look like her, but you know, I don't care. It's just it's mainly getting the story out there. It's helping a lot of people. Um, it's educating counselors why somebody goes through this, why people don't speak up. What were some of my signs that I went through? You know, it's just very educational and it's very inspiring to a lot of survivors. Yeah. So tell me, let's bring bring us current here because you sued your abuser 20 years ago. You wrote the book and, you know, fingers crossed it's going to make a movie. And then you, of course, will remember all of us poor little people when you get rich. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the, the the trial was in... Yeah, the, the trial was in uh, was November second, two thousand fifteen. Oh wow! I thought you said two thousand. Yeah. No, two thousand was when my aunt Judy had passed away. So because oh, the law got okay. changed, right. yeah, okay. yeah, the law got right. changed in two thousand fourteen, and I was the first yeah. to go forward with the trial in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. So, so that so that that is a lot newer. That was four years ago. Um, oh yeah. What kind of a judgment did you get from the abuser? Was it monetary or which I uh, it was is a, the only thing you can get? Right, civil suit is monetary, and to this day, I have not received one penny of this. But it's not about the money; it's about justice, it's about accountability, mm-hmm. and will I ever get any money? Who knows, and who cares? But 
you know, because he's like, I have no money. Yeah, yeah, you know, I have no money, I have no money, you know, whatever. I could have fought more, but it's like, that's, that's not the, that's not the principle of this. It's, it's about taking you to, to federal court and having my day in court and to be able to call him a rapist. I don't know if people realize this, but if you have been found guilty or liable, then you can go out and say, this man did this to me. And if if they haven't had that court process and you go out and say that, they can always come back and say, oh, that's libelous. I'm going to sue you for saying it because, you know, I never did, blah, blah, blah. So basically winning that lawsuit enable you to open your mouth and speak with impunity that, that, you know, he can't come back and, and somehow or other punish you for telling the truth because no nope, right. jury found him. His name. Yeah. I can say his name when I go out and do presentations and yeah. the funny part, well, not funny, but it's comical. Um, but right after the trial, he wrote to the judge and said, I want this to all go away. <laughs> and <laughs> she, you know, she, she pondered on it for a couple months and then finally came back and, and in writing and said, this is so ordered, but he wanted it to all go away. <laughs> and he represented him himself in court because he could not of get an attorney. So, you know, isn't it something about these guys, these guys, you know, whether it's domestic violence or sexual assault, they have such confidence and, and, Oh Yeah. They think that they're in charge of the world, you know. Yeah. I mean, of course he would defend himself. Why wouldn't he? Perfectly, you know. Yeah. What I mean, I, I mean, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. I mean, just so, just so dumb and so stupid. I mean, Heather, one statement he made during the trial is he said, "Well, if Kathy gives me a million dollars, we can settle this right now, and and we don't have to go through this whole court process." And I'm like, "Give you, you want me to pay dollars. you? I, I'm taking yeah. you to court." Uh-huh. You know, it's just. Some See, of the that, things that I write think, about. Oh, yeah. That's how these Some of the things. Think, They're just yeah. in charge of the world. They're in charge of the world. And yeah. that's why they get so mad when they go to a court and a judge makes them do something. It's yeah. like, what do you mean there's somebody who's more powerful than me? What do you mean that there's oh, somebody yeah. who could actually make me do something? Um, yeah. I, I mean, wonder what that's he made. thought that. He thought that he could get a court-appointed attorney. Well, that's for a criminal case. It's not for civil. So, Um, (laughs) you know, he just didn't understand going through a four-day jury trial that this is, especially in a federal court, I mean, this is huge. You know, there were a lot of articles in the newspapers, and one of the things he said to me, he goes, I bet you're glad that my name was all in the paper and everything, and I lost a lot of my friends. Well, you know, you do the crime, you you do the, you know, the punishment. Yeah. Oh, you know. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, so it, it is I'm a sure little bit of com- I, comic to it. Thinking somebody, somebody should, you know, write books about these guys, but then I guess I have, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they, they have, but, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that we did it. I mean, it was hard. You know, my husband and I, we'd be out in the pool and, Gary would say, you know, we got to get out of the pool and go write that book. And I go, I know, I know. (laughs) So it was, you know, you're trudging through it. And then when it was finally finished, it's like, oh, but, you know, like I said, it's just, I'd love to have in everybody's hands because it's, it's very educational awareness and it's, it's helping a lot of people. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. about the audio because some people just don't have 
the time to read it. But, you know, it's over nine hours on audio that I yeah. did myself. I sat in a little closet and, <laughs> you know, I've the producer. So I know. Yeah. 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 Talk the to producer. Yourself, like there's a whole room full of people that you're addressing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The producer, Ed, I mean, I would rub my legs and he goes, Kathy, um, I can hear that noise. And I go, you can? <laughs> you, you know, you're repeating yourself over and over, but. Yeah. You know, he was really yeah. good. I mean, a, a great producer when when you get somebody that calls you at the house and says, Kathy, I have to ask you two questions. And I said, what? And he said, how do you say your last name? Is it Picard or Picard? I say Picard. And he goes, and the other question I have is, are you okay? And, you know, oh, he could tell because, you. you know, and when I heard that, I'm like, he truly gets it, you know, yeah. because th- there were times yeah. when it was tough to read. And, yeah, I was going to say, and that's one of the questions I have. How hard was it to oh, not it only was... write the book, but then to do the recording? And, I mean, we have all sorts of, you know, um, PTSD issues and, you know, yeah. uh, triggering of symptoms and everything. Did you experience any of those things when you yeah. were doing all this? Yeah, you're reliving it. You are going through, you know, those those times when I would be in the bathtub and he'd let himself in with a screwdriver and, going to the bathtub with me, you know, having to say that and relive it, you know, you're, you're going to get thoughts, you're going to get triggers and, you know, and you just got to keep thinking those times are over, you know, they'll never come back, but you do relive those. Yeah. So tell me, let's come up back up to speed now. Um, you obviously have a husband who sounds like he's a, just a, a real gem to help you with this and to, to help you, to encourage you. Um, what about uh, kids? Did you ever have any kids? No, we got the fur babies. I got married when I was 35 years old, and I was a, a late, like my husband said, I had to marry you because you're going to be an old maid. And I'm like, no, no. But, um, you know, he was old-fashioned. He got down on his knee and proposed. And, you know, we've been married for 21 years, and um, he's my soulmate, you know. And we don't have kids. We have Sophie and Abby. We have the German Shepherd and the Schnauzer. We have fur babies, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, a lot of survivors mm-hmm. will tell you that they do have dogs because it's a safety thing. And, yeah. you know, we'll always have dogs. But but I just think with my advocacy work, maybe it just wasn't meant to be that I didn't have kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm very busy. But think of the children out there that you are helping with, with all of the work that you're doing. I mean, yes. Wow. Absolutely. That's, that's huge. Absolutely. And, you know, having yeah. raised a couple of kids, I'll tell you, you know, you get those rugrats, you don't have time to save the world. I doing laundry. <laughs> well, you're, so you're a great mom. Yeah. yeah, you're a great, great mom. You remind me a lot of my Aunt Judy, who, like I said, was a mom to me. And, you know, she would call me her little princess. And, you know, I just miss her dearly. And, you know, but yeah, but I, I yeah, have, have a whole chapter about her. Yeah. Whole well, I can't wait to get the book. Tell yeah. us how you can get how we can get the book. So you can get the book on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble, um, Amazon on Kindle and book format, and soon to be audio. And Barnes and Noble, if you request a autograph copy for myself, you can reach out to me by email. It's Kathy with a K, child advocate at gmail.com. 
and I'd be happy to send you a personal copy. And that's pretty much how you can reach me. I'm all over Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. But the best way is probably through email. I'm a little old-fashioned like my husband. So, again, the email is kathychildadvocate at gmail.com. Okay, I'm writing that down. And it's Kathy with a Y? Yep, with a K and a Y. Okay, kathychildadvocate at gmail.com. Okay. Yes. All righty. That's good to know. I'm going to cancel my Amazon order and order directly from you because I know how what a big chunk Amazon takes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, def- I have, definitely. I have a book still available on Amazon. It's, it's outdated now, the book, but they, it's oh. still available. Every now and then one goes up for sale. But, uh, <laughs> but boy, I don't think people understand how much Amazon takes out of book. You know, I mean, they, yeah. they, take, they take like 45%. I, I mean, know. it's just. I know. Huge. They they really do. That's why you know when I do my presentations, I I bring books and you know sell them that way. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I think a personalized copy and um, this way here you got the sticker on there because it did win the Reader's Favorite Award, and um, I'm happy to to have the sticker on the book as well. So, oh, but that it's, it's a, yeah. yeah yeah. So yeah. but no, I you know definitely give me your address and I can send you out one as well. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, yeah, I'd love that. Um, the other thing too, one of these days I keep, you know, I, I'm one of those people where, you know, my brain goes a mile a minute, not my body, but my brain. And, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I'm always thinking of these things that I want to do. And of course there's never, I won't live long enough to do all these things that I want to do. Um, but I want to have, I want to have a series of, of I want to have a book fair just for these kinds of books. You know, yeah. I just want to have you know, like a, a New York book fair because there are so many wonderful books out there um, that deal with these tough issues. And, um, you know, they go to, you go to the regular bookstores and in the first place, they, they're not going to carry it unless it's some major, major, major seller for the most part. Right. The independent bookstores are few and far between anymore. Um, and I, right. I just would love to have a great big, huge book fair, you know, somewhere with I these think kinds that of would... books. Yeah. That would be great. It's funny that you said that because I just sent my book out to Strand Bookstore in New York, and I'm hoping, you know, they have to accept the book. But, you know, the book did go to them, and and we'll see. You know, it would be great, like you said, yeah. to have it in a bookstore, and that's kind of like one of the number one bookstores around, and it sure would yeah. help the people, you know, in New York. Yeah. And especially Maybe, because uh, the when, book, when, Yeah. When my book came out, I had the opportunity to go to a few bookstores and do the author thing. I mean, mine didn't go, you know, uh, mine wasn't huge, but I had an opportunity to do that, a few of those. Don't you find those fun when you go and do, do. A, a reading and you get to meet people and, oh, my I, gosh, I, I love do. those things. I do. Yeah, my husband's yeah. gone with me to Barnes & Noble, and we actually had a couple um, book clubs too, where my husband went with me, and it was really nice. I mean, we sat around, and they cooked us dinner, and but they they have questions, oh, wow. you know, to ask, and I think it's yeah. important that you have people there that answer the questions for you, so so that was kind of good, so I think book clubs yeah. are really, I, you know, I enjoy going to those as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, my next book, I'm going to, I'm uh, you, you will be my inspiration, and I will uh, 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 aspire to be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you no it was it was a pleasure heather and so 
I'm going you know. to. Okay, well, have... real quick, we've got, we got a couple minutes left, so tell me, I mean, we've t- obviously talked about the book, but personally, what's down the road for you? What, what are you do- going to be doing in the next year or two? Just well, in the next year or two, oh, for myself, um, besides trying to get, you know, fit in time to get facials and relax um, and continue <laughs> to walk, you know, conti- Don't forget the man continue to walk. Don't forget the man yeah, 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 <laughs> doing that. And <laughs> But I think, you know, I mean, I, I constantly just think, who, who can I help? What can I do? And reaching out to people mm-hmm. and social media, I mean, it's hard to get off that phone and to try to you know, spend some time with my husband, but I I do have to make more time and spend a little bit more time with him. Um, Mm -hmm. But I enjoy what I'm doing, you know, and it's my biological dad said, you can't work in, you know, nine to five job because this is your passion. And thanks to him, I'm able to do what I want to do. Well, I think that's wonderful. Kathy, it has been a delight speaking with you. The name of the book again is Life with My Idiot Family, A True Story of Survival, Courage, and Justice Over Childhood Sexual Abuse, written by Kathy and her husband, Gary Picard. Thank you. And it's available on Amazon, or you can get it directly from Kathy at kathychildadvocate at gmail.com. So there, we did the promo. Thank <laughs> you. Back in the book. Yes, yes. Kathy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Send so over much. a copy and I'll get it out there as well on my end. And um, yeah, let's let's have Heather, let's exchange books. How about that? Oh, great. That would be wonderful. Well, I have okay. to dig through. Mine, mine came out so long ago. I have to dig through to see if I still have a copy. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been well, working well, on my PhD dissertation for so long. I haven't had time to update it. But um, oh, Kathy, thank you. Thank you. It was a delight you. speaking with you. Very important topic. Thank you so much for sharing your life Thank experiences you. with us in such a, you, a, a, a comfortable way. It's very, you know, Thank a you. lot of times I think when people hear these stories, they're not comfortable and that's why they're not supportive or, you know, it, 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 this was a comfortable conversation and I thank you for that. So, thank Kathy you so Picard, much. thank you for joining us and thank you for listening on Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week. Mm-hmm.